Well, good evening and welcome. Let me add my welcome to David's. I'm Liz Gray and I'm the rector here and I'm so glad that you're worshipping here this evening with us. We're uh, just over halfway through a series through Colossians and we've reached Colossians chapter 3, looking at the first half. And just a reminder that really the whole book up to now, there's been, Paul has been sort of building this argument all the way through, telling the Colossian church how they, um, how they are heirs of the kingdom of heaven. And then he told them that they're heirs of the Father. And then he gave this beautiful Jesus poem where he kept on saying, look at Jesus, look at Jesus. Then there was a bit about saying, you've got, because you're heirs of the kingdom, you've got responsibilities and don't get bogged down by the rules which can trap you of the world around you. But look at your responsibilities with, um, with kind of sensibly, and one of the things that you notice about that is if you're an heir of the kingdom, then you do have responsibilities. Now, all of you think for a moment, you're all probably going to be heirs of somebody. And you might not be heirs to kind of like Downton Abbey, but you're probably heirs to um, at least the name of your family, maybe. Um, you are the ones who will carry, who, are, who represent your family on earth at the moment. You are heirs of your parents. And... Let's not get too worried about your parents and all the rest of it. Just have that thought for a moment that you are an heir in one sense of a family. And an heir always has some kind of responsibilities, but they also come with expectations. And what we've been thinking about are what are the expectations that we have, or what are the expectations of us that come with being heirs of the kingdom? Because we are called to be kingdom people and to reflect God into our com communities. Now, Paul is really trying to talk now about how you're going to take on that kind of responsibility as you look at your role in the world. And one of the points he makes now right at the beginning is that there's kind of an overlap. You've got, um, you've got earth and you've got heaven and you're kind of in the middle there. Because the point that he makes now is that the Jews always thought that the tabernacle was where God lived, and it wasn't where God was represented to the people, and that was kind of the center of things for them. But then when Jesus came, he has the glory of God in him, and so we can think of Jesus as being fully in that, in that overlap, and then we are in Jesus. So what I want you to think about a little bit is what it feels like to be kind of earthbound and I don't like the phrase, sometimes people talk about being earthbound and heavenly-minded. Don't think like that. I want you to be earthbound and heavenly all at once. And as we look at this chapter, the first half of this chapter as Paul goes through it, there's a lot that he talks about, this divide between how we become better and better equipped to be members of the kingdom of God on earth while struggling with those things which still keep us earthbound. So take a moment to picture yourself in that Venn diagram overlap. There you are in the middle, reflecting the glory of God into the world around you, yet simultaneously having to learn how to grow because your feet are very much on this earth. Does that even feel possible? Does it feel possible for you to reflect God into the world around you? Well, Paul in this chapter 3 does two things. He uses kind of a baptismal image. He talks about putting things off, and then he talks about putting things on. And first of all, he talks about put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. 
Putting to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Putting to death, such a strong phrase. He doesn't say just discard them or put them aside or don't do them. Put them to death because they lead to God's wrath. If they really upset God, we should probably make sure that we do something about them. So we're going to think for a moment, where is it that you feel your earthly part tugging at you? What are the things that you personally need to take off? If Jesus was standing right here right now, or if Paul was standing here, either of them would probably have some things to say. But where is it that you are having that battle? Now, I'm going to ask you to take, at the end of your pews in the bins, there, there is paper and And there's a whole bunch of little pieces of paper. I'm going to encourage you to get one of these. And I'm going to encourage you to um, draw a line down the middle and begin to think on one side about the things which are keeping you heavenly, earthly bound. So if you're not sure where to begin, you can begin with uh, Paul's list. Paul's list starts like this. He starts off with some of our behaviors. He says that the things that we have to kill include Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. So where are the behaviors that you feel sometimes a little bit trapped in? The things that you hold on to? Paul goes on to a second list after that when he begins to talk about things that we say, what comes out of our mouth as we begin to interact with other people. He talks about anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. He says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Have you got other things that you would want to put on that list? Maybe none of those things bother you. Maybe you've got those sorted. But I suspect that you could probably think of a few things where you feel like your feet are kind of earthbound. Now, most of our behaviors come from something that we believe about ourselves. So even as we're sitting here, think about what is it? What is it that makes lying so attractive? What am I trying to show other people around me? What am I trying to present to other people? What is it that makes you sometimes want to break the law? What is it that sometimes uh, makes you think it's okay to be unkind to other people? Maybe it's things that you refuse to do or places we're scared to go because you can't cope with the aftermath. Is there a lie that you've believed about yourself that encourages some of these earthly behaviors? Are you trying to fit in with a certain group or place or way, not stand out too much from the crowd? Or are you scared about something? Are you scared that if you don't speak up, you'll never be heard because of your past experience? Are there repeated patterns in your life? A lot of us are just scared of all sorts of things, scared of what people will think, scared we won't be enough, Scared we'll let down other people, scared we'll of our peers, scared of our bosses, scared of the way the world is heating up, scared of the way society is going, scared of the way politics is shaking out, scared of failing, scared of succeeding. And when we're scared, that fear often leads to hate. 
or hatred of yourself or hatred of others. And I'm going to keep quoting Jesus and the Disinherited by Howard Thurman week after week because it really is my favorite book at the moment. But he said this, you must abandon your fear of each other and fear only God. You must not indulge in any deception and dishonesty, even to save your lives. And think about the audience he's writing to. He was writing to an oppressed people group, African-Americans, pre-civil. We're going to get the dates wrong. Don't say anything. Your words must be yay, nay. Everything else is evil. Hatred is destructive to hated and hater alike. Love your enemy that you may be children of your Father who is in heaven. You must abandon your fear of each other and fear only God. So if you identify those things, why does Paul say put them to death? Well, this phrase has just been going through my mind all week. And I was thinking, you know, sometimes we think of this list a little bit like a pet hamster. I don't know, my kids always had pet hamsters, and you keep them in a cage, and you watch them running on their little wheel, and you get them out and you stroke them every now and again, and, and then you put them back in the cage, and, and that's all great. And I think sometimes we treat the stuff on the left a little bit like a pet hamster. We think it's okay if we can keep it under control, if we can keep it in this little cage, we're going to be just fine. And maybe every now and again we can get it out and have a little stroke and just, um, just think it's going to be, uh, it's not that bad a, a deal. But I'm going to challenge you to that. And I'm going to say, when I thought about this, I thought, I don't think this list here, I don't think they're hamsters. I think they like bedbugs. In that bedbugs, you can't get them into a cage, you can't keep them, you know, they just spread everywhere. If you've ever had a bedbug experience, then you know what I'm talking about. Bedbugs are just awful. And I think this list, they're much more like bedbugs than hamsters. They're not cute and fluffy. They are things we actually have to put to death. Because otherwise, we just kind of go, oh, that's all right, we'll just put that on it. Oh, it's just a little lie. It's just a little breaking of the law. It's just a little bit of greed. It's just a little bit of slander. And I think the other thing which strikes me about this is that Paul, actually, in this passage, doesn't ever say that God's going to help you. He doesn't say the Holy Spirit's going to help you. He really goes straight at these guys and says, you have got to do this. You must put to death these behaviors. And we're going to sing in a moment about the way the Holy Spirit helps us. And I'm so glad that actually we're not really called to just do this all by gritted teeth and willpower because we'd all get it wrong. We'd all fail. So the Holy Spirit does help us. But I think the point Paul is making is that, again, it comes with that responsibility. It's a responsibility. If we're heirs, then we have to step up for that. We've got to step up into what it looks like to being in the kingdom of heaven. And so Paul has this whole list of stuff which we're going to put off. And then he says, well, what about the things that we put on? And so maybe turn your paper over or fold it. So just put that list somewhere. Maybe you want to keep it open or maybe you want to have it where you can't see it. But I want you to think a little bit about your behaviors now that you know that you need to put on. What do you need to put on? I love the way he starts this section. He starts it by saying, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved that. When God looks at you, he doesn't look at the bed bugs. He looks at you and says, oh my goodness, you are holy and beloved. You are holy and beloved. Savor that. Even today in your messy half-formed self, you are holy and beloved. You are an heir of the kingdom of God. 
You are God's chosen representatives. You are the forerunners. You are the first fruits of the citizens of the kingdom of heaven, which is taking place right here, right now. And this is your calling and needs to be your prime focus. So what does Paul suggest? He suggests put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against each other, Forgive each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. As I was reading N.T. Wright about this passage this week, he made the point, which I had never spotted before, that promising to forgive is the only promise we make when we pray the Lord's Prayer every week. We promise every single week, maybe every single day if you pray it every day, to forgive others. So difficult and so important. And then Paul goes on, and over these all put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And then to kind of counterbalance, he does this lovely counterbalancing then of some of the negative behaviors he talked about earlier. He gives some positive suggestions. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Take time to dwell in the word. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Think, giving thanks three times in like two sentences there. Giving thanks, giving thanks, giving thanks. And if you do all these things, your life's going to be fantastic. You're going to get everything you want. You're going to get the spouse you want. You're going to get the job you want. You're going to get the car you want. Everything's just going to be fun and dandy. Honestly, it is, because that's, that's what Paul says. You're going to get a raise tomorrow. Well, actually, sorry, no. You can hold nothing back with this. You can hold nothing back. But it's not some kind of magical formula for getting what you want in this world. Because when you are 100% into the kingdom of heaven and wanting that more than anything else, you may not get the salary you want, you may not get the car you want, the job you want, the spouse you want, the life you want, the, li the disease-free life you want, anything. For many in the world, announcing that you're a Christian immediately puts you in the target zone for hatred, persecution. You might land up in jail or dead. Sometimes there's a temptation to think if we could just do all this, then God's going to give us lots of stuff. No. But what he will give us is he will give us a role in the kingdom of heaven, even as it's happening right now. Because what does Jesus say in that passage we read from Matthew? He said, you are the salt of the earth. As you put these things on, you're going to give flavor and taste and goodness to your workplace. You're going to be people who will encourage others to step up. You're going to be the people who will encourage people to also be kind, to be thoughtful, to give thanks to God who made them. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And the instruction is that we need to let our light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And we stand in this intersection and as we want to see more of the kingdom of God come now and in this place and around us, we need to be looking in that direction all the time, being confident that we are standing with our feet as close to that edge of being in the kingdom of God as we can. Because as Jesus continues, he says, 
Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. There's a way for us to live in that intersection. There is a way for us to become great in the kingdom of heaven. And I think so much of it is tied up with those last three instructions. We hear them all the time. Instructions to be thankful, instructions to love, and instructions to ask God to deal with his, live with his peace inside you. So we're going to take a moment or two uh, to be quiet, as we normally do. Have a little look at your list. Think, okay, God, where is it that I need to do some hard work of putting to death some things? And then maybe where is it that I need to put on a new garment, a new decision about the way that I'm stepping into my world tomorrow or this afternoon or next minute? There'll be people praying under the cross at the end of the service. I encourage you, if you made a decision which might be a hard one for you, why not go and get someone to pray over you? Ask them to break a lie which is trapping you in the left-hand side of this chart. Ask them to pray blessing on you. Ask them to pray that you will be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit to have the strength to be people who walk into the light of the kingdom of God day by day. Heavenly Father, will you help us to be honest? Honest with you, honest with ourselves. Thank you that you still, even though we mess up all the time, call us holy and beloved. Thank you that you see us through a heavenly lens. Help us to be brave, not to be scared of people or ourselves. Help us to be honest. Help us to forgive. Help us to be thankful. Amen.